Well, good morning, everyone. It is great to see you. Now, I realize I say that just about every time I walk out here, but this time I mean it. It is, it is great to see. I always mean it. I'm just kidding. It is great to see you. I know, uh, thank you for many of you that have joined us. I want to say also welcome and thank you. Those of you that are watching us online, live, during the 10 o'clock, um, great. Wherever you're watching from, really glad to have you. Thank you for tuning in um, this morning. Um, I know that the circumstances under which we're meeting are not ideal. I get it. Um, the idea of having to register for a service, you know, wear masks and practice social distancing and go through all those things are not uh, the circumstances under which we would like to meet. I'm, I'm sure that most of us would just as soon not have to worry about those things. But uh, it is what it is, as they say. Uh, it's the world in which we live. And so thank you for being here, being a part. Thank you for tuning in online. Really glad to have you guys. We're going to take a break this morning from our summer series, Did God Really Say? Um, next week, we'll jump back into that and sort of continue through the summer. But today, we're going to take a break from that. You're actually going to hear from both uh, myself and Austin. Um, and we just want to really take a look at the church um, in light of kind of the world in which we find ourselves, um, hopefully you'll be refreshed and encouraged today, maybe be challenged in some new and fresh ways to continue to be the church. Um, and so that's what we're going to do today. If you have your Bibles with you, I'm going to be in Matthew chapter 16. Matthew chapter 16. Um, and we're going to take a look at the church. You know, uh, about three and a half months ago, I went on a spring break trip with my family. This was a trip we had planned for a while. Uh, we, went, we saved up and then we took our boys and we went snow skiing and it was just going to be this wonderful spring break trip where we uh, just kind of re refresh ourselves and really recharge for what was coming. You know, it had been uh, the start to the year and, uh, and just kind of some crazy times already. And, and then um, we were going to take this trip and be recharged and really gear up to Easter because Easter, you know, it's kind of a big deal in the Christian faith, if you're not aware. It's like our Super Bowl, really. It's, it's kind of a big deal, right? And so we were going we're gonna to gear up for Easter and gear up then for the rest of the semester and finish strong in the summer. And so we go on our trip, and we had a great time, but literally driving home from our trip, the world changed. We get back, and everything had come to a screeching halt. My kids never went back to school, never finished out the semester, all of the sporting events that my family are a part of with all my boys every single year just stopped on a dime. Practices, games, tournaments, all of it, done. Businesses were shutting down. My wife's job, she had kind of been furloughed for several months, stopped going to work. Services at church, we weren't able to gather anymore. Um, all of the gathering we were used to doing with community and friends, having people to the house and going out to dinner, all just stopped on a dime. And I'm a people person. Like, I enjoy being around people. Um, and, and so it was very different and awkward and weird for us. I'm sure maybe in some ways you felt the same way. But here's what I would say. During all of this, one thing I've been really encouraged by has been the church. And I don't just mean our church. Don't get me wrong. I love to brag about our church, talk about our church, what God's doing in and through our church. But I mean the church in general. I've talked to so many different pastors in our own community over and over and over, large churches, small churches. I've talked to pastors in other cities, and I've just been encouraged by the way the church has learned and is learning to sort of navigate. Some have gotten really creative, but it's just been encouraging to me to see that the ministry and the mission and the message of the church has continued throughout everything that's gone on. And so that being said, 
I want to look at Scripture and something that when times get crazy, I go back to often, the words of Jesus talking about His church. And I've been encouraged by that, and it's my hope and prayer this morning that you would be as well. So in Matthew chapter 16, Jesus is talking to His disciples. And here is kind of the way the story plays out. Matthew 16, beginning in verse 13. It says, Now when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say the Son of Man is? And so Jesus basically has his disciples there, and he's just asking them, guys, what's the word on the street, right? Like, who do people say that I am? What are you hearing? It'd be like if I told you to go out to like Walmart parking lot and just start asking people, who is Jesus? What responses might you get? right? Uh, he was a good teacher, or he was a really great prophet, or a really good person. I think he did some miracles. Uh, some might say he was God or the Son of God. You never know, but you're probably going to get some different responses. And so in verse 14, it says, they, they said, well, some say John the Baptist, and others say Elijah, and others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. And so again, not unlike what we might hear, you might get some different responses. The disciples say, you know, some think you're like reincarnate John the Baptist, Elijah, someone else, right? Then in verse 15, Jesus makes it personal to them. He says, but who do you say that I am? And I've talked about this verse before, and I don't have a lot of time this morning to unpack this, but this is a really important question. It may be the most important question you will ever answer in your life. And at some point in your life, every one of us have to answer the question for ourselves, Because at the end of the day, it really doesn't matter who everybody else thinks Jesus is. It matters who you say that Jesus is. Who is Jesus to you? When you stand before God one day, the question's not going to be, hey, who, what did your parents think of Jesus, right? Like, what are your friends, what are your neighbors, what are your coworkers, what, who does everybody else say that Jesus is? At some point, you have to answer the question for yourself, who is Jesus to you? Who is Jesus? So Jesus looks at his disciples, asks them, and then of course, In verse 16, Peter, the very outspoken sort of leader of the disciples, he's the first one to reply here, and here's what he says. Peter answers, you are Christ, son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah, son of Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. So basically, Jesus is like, ding, 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 we have a winner, right? Good job, Peter. Peter just declared, you are Christ, Messiah, chosen one. You are son of the living God. Peter gets this right, and Jesus tells him, like, this isn't something you just came up with on your own. This isn't something you heard on the street because nobody was saying that. This is something revealed to you by my Father who is in heaven. And then he tells him in verse 18, I love this. There's so much in this one verse for, for us to remember about the church. Jesus says, I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. So three things I want to unpack for you really quick. Number one, he says that um, it's on this rock I will build my church. Now, there's a little, little bit of a wordplay going on here because Peter's name actually meant stone or rock, but Jesus is not saying, I'm going to build my church upon Peter upon Simon Peter. No, no. What he's saying is on the truth of the statement that Peter just made, on the power and the truth of the statement that Peter just made is what the church will be built on. And the power of that statement is Jesus Christ, Son of the living God. So listen, first point is this, that at the end of the day, the church is about 
Jesus. The church is about Jesus. No matter what we go through, no matter how trying our times are, no matter how we have to navigate the waters, if we can just remember that at the end of the day, the church is about Jesus, the mission and the message of Jesus. Now, that plays itself out in a number of different ways um, on a number of different issues and topics, right? So in our world right now, whether it's um, injustice or inequality or racism or a pandemic and how we treat people or poverty or oppression or whatever happens, listen, what, this, what Jesus just said is that we, we don't sort of concern ourselves, like my opinion about those things isn't what we should concern ourselves with. The opinion of culture and society, the opinion of whatever news broadcast you like the best, like that is not what should form or shape our opinion on matters, but rather it's, the, it, it, it's about Jesus. The mission and the message of Jesus in regards to those things is what should matter most for the church. And so that's clearly what he says. It's the truth that the church is built on, that at the end of the day, it's about the mission and the message of Jesus in regards to anything we deal with. I've been encouraged as I've watched the church maintain the focus there, not to begin to chase rabbits or or do these other things, but to say, no, at the end of the day, it's about the mission and message of Jesus in our community. The second thing that he says here, I love this, is so freeing. Jesus calls it my church. Did you catch that in verse 18? Jesus said on this truth, on this statement, I'll build my church. It's his church. I don't know about you, but as a pastor, that is unbelievably freeing for me. That that this is not my church. This isn't Dave's church. This church does not rise or fall with me or with Austin or with our elders or with our staff. It's not their church. It's not even your church. Now, I know we identify with the church. We belong to the church. We make up the church. But it's really freeing to know that at the end of the day, this is Jesus' church. He's the one guiding us. He's the one leading us. He's the one shepherding us. He's the one uh, protecting us and watching over us. And it's our responsibility as the church to simply get behind him and follow. And the reason that's so encouraging to me is that it really doesn't matter what we have to go through. It really doesn't matter what this world throws our way. No matter what happens Jesus is the leader. Jesus is the shepherd. It's his church. We're going to simply align ourselves behind Jesus, and we're going to follow Jesus wherever he wants us to go. So the church is about Jesus. The church ultimately belongs to Jesus. And then the last thing that he says here, again, is so important for us to remember, and it's been a big encouragement to me. The last thing he says in verse 18, and he says, the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. The gates of hell. Listen, what Jesus just declared there is that nothing will stop the church. Nothing. And that's exactly what, I, when I talk about getting back from spring break and like everything came to the screeching halt and my li- our lives have never been the same since. And who knows, by the way, when all of this is going to end because even the experts don't seem to know, right? It sort of changes day in, day out, whatever you watch. Nobody knows, but the encouraging thing is that no matter what, the church is going to continue. The mission, the message of Jesus, the mission and message of the church doesn't stop and nothing's going to stop it. That's the promise Jesus gives to Peter, that nothing's going to stop it. Coronavirus isn't going to stop it. Quarantine isn't going to stop it. Social unrest isn't going to stop it. Literally, he mentions Hades or hell, death. Jesus just declared that death itself isn't going to stop the church. 
That's really encouraging to me, and that's what I've seen play out. I know that it can get frustrating sometimes. We think, well, we haven't been able to gather like we want to. But make no mistake, the church has gone on. The mission, the ministry of the church has gone on. We've been able to meet virtually every single week. And I was thinking about that, just how amazing that is. We take for granted technology. But if this pandemic happens 30 years ago, maybe even 20 years ago, what we do, watching all of you tuned in right now from your living rooms, watching online, that's not even possible. The church doesn't know how to pull that off if this happens 30 years ago. 30 years ago, we're all trying to figure out how we get previously uh, recorded sermons on a cassette tape, right, that are really scratchy and hard to hear. And if you don't know what a cassette tape is, because you're all young, a cassette tape is this little bitty square thing you had to load in this box just right, or it would really mess up, right? I, I don't have time to unpack it for you. Google it. It's history, right? Like, you can go write about it someday. Like, that's what we're trying to do if this thing, the same thing happens like 30 years ago. But thanks to technology, we can still meet virtually, I want to encourage you and just say this, that like people have asked us, how's the budget of the church been over the last three months? We fully expected there to be some sort of dip. And I'm, I'm, listen, I'm telling you, God's been, it's been unbelievable. The generosity of our people has continued. Our budget remains strong. We're able to meet needs. We're able to do ministry. We're able to give to the organizations even more than we were giving before to help families be fed and rents get paid. It's been unbelievable because why? Because Jesus promised that nothing would stop the church and that has proven to be true over the last three months. Nothing stops the church, the mission and the message of God. And I've been so encouraged by this, and I just want to encourage you as the church that if we will remember that at the end of the day, the church is about Jesus and the church belongs to Jesus, then exactly what Jesus said will continue to be true and nothing's going to stop it. It's not my church. It's not your church. It's his church. And it's a joy for us to get behind him and follow wherever he leads. So be encouraged. Austin's going to come out now, and Austin's going to share with us um, just some truths and some things we need to remember in light of a lot of the stuff we've honestly talked about for the last year or so uh, that'll be just really great reminders for us during this season. Awesome. Good morning, everybody. It is great to see you today. Dave and I were so excited to, to preach to actual people that we decided we both had to preach today. We couldn't decide who got, who got the honors. Um, I don't know about you, but one of the things I've learned in quarantine is that I actually like people way more than I thought I did. Anybody else? Because a couple of weeks of getting a break from people, I was like, this is actually kind of nice. You know what I mean? Because people can be, uh, what's the word I'm looking for, Ronnie? Difficult, maybe? People can be difficult. But man, after like three weeks in quarantine, I like see complete strangers on the street. And I'm walking down chasing after them like I've spotted a mythical creature trying to get a little bit of human interaction. And so I know it's, it's been hard for us, you know? We talk all the time here at the Vista about how God designed us to need each other. Right, God wanted to make me need you and you need me. And so isolating ourselves and not being able to gather together, especially for weekly communal worship, I know has been an enormous sacrifice for so many of us. And we're so grateful that our church family has been so patient in the midst of it all. And so what I'd like to do is pick up where Dave left off. And Dave did a great job with that. It was good to hear Dave preach live again. He's pretty good at this. He has a future, I think. Um, pick up where Dave left off and talk about both a, a temptation and an opportunity that this season is presenting us with. So over the past year, we have spent an enormous amount of time walking through two books of the Bible in particular, right? The book of Acts and the book of 1 Corinthians. In fact, we have spent about half of the last 12 months walking through those two books of the Bible in particular. And I look back on that with a bit of amazement 
because I see the way God used those texts in particular to prepare us for this really odd season that we have found ourselves in and might be in for a little while. Two portions of Scripture in particular. What we'll do is read them both and then make a couple of observations. Our first text is in Acts 5. It'll be on the screen for you. In Acts 5, uh, we've got the uh, first story in a series of stories where the apostles find themselves in conflict with the authorities. Uh, The authorities have arrested them, told them to stop preaching the gospel. Peter responds and he's like, hey, you guys, you do what you got to do. But we're going to do what we got to do. And what we got to do is keep preaching the gospel. Understandably, the authorities do not like this very much, so they gather them, think about killing them, instead decide to beat them and then release them, and then here's what happens. Verse 40, so they took his advice, and after calling the apostles in, they flogged them and ordered them not to speak in the name of Jesus, and then they released them. So they went on their way from the presence of the council, rejoicing that they had been considered worthy to suffer shame for Jesus' name. And every day in the temple and from house to house, they kept right on teaching and preaching Jesus as the Christ. Okay, our second text is in 1 Corinthians. Be in chapter 9. We're starting chapter 3. Paul is in the middle of this discussion about whether or not Christians can eat meat that's been sacrificed to idols. I know you've all wondered about this as well. Um, he then pivots, though, to something he sees as much more important, namely his rights as in Apostle, now specifically his right to take a wife and marry and what he does with those rights. All right, verse 3. Paul says, My defense to those who examine me is this Do we not have a right to eat and drink? Do we not have a right to take along a believing wife, even as the rest of the apostles and the brothers of the Lord and Cephas? Or do only Barnabas and I not have a right to refrain from working? Who at any time serves as a soldier at his own expense? Who plants a vineyard and does not eat the fruit of it? Or who tends a flock and does not use the milk of the flock? Jump down to verse 12. Nevertheless, we do not use this right, but rather we endure all things so that we will cause no hindrance to the gospel of Christ. Now, do you not know that those who perform sacred services eat the food of the temple? And those who attend regularly to the altar have their share from the altar? So also the Lord directed those who proclaim the gospel to get their living from the gospel... But I have used none of these things. And I'm not writing so that these things will be done so in my case, for it would be better for me to die than to have any man make my boast an empty one. For if I preach the gospel, I got nothing to boast of, for I'm under compulsion. For woe is me if I don't preach the gospel. For if I do this voluntarily, I have a reward, but if against my will, I have a stewardship entrusted to me. Now, what then is my reward? Well, It's that when I preach the gospel, I may offer the gospel without charge so as not to make the full use of my right in the gospel. All right, so in both of these stories, we have a conflict between the gospel and people's rights. Right, in Acts, the apostles are preaching the gospel. The authorities tell them not to. This puts them in the conflict with the authorities, and the authorities take the apostles' rights from them they imprison them beat them tell them to stop sharing the gospel in first corinthians paul is talking about his rights as an apostle specifically his right to marry if he wants to and his right to take a salary if he wants to and paul says that he has given up those rights freely and then i love this phrase so that he can offer the gospel to people free of charge 
And the common theme I think we hear in these texts is this. Christians should be difficult to offend, slow to complain, and quick to sacrifice our rights for the sake of the gospel. Our Christians, we should be difficult to offend, y'all. We should be slow to complain, and we should be quick to sacrifice our rights for the sake of the gospel. Now, when Allison and I were first married, uh, about nine years ago, um, I had one class left in grad school. Allison was working 12-hour shifts, and so I had full days to just do, like, whatever I wanted to. And so I played golf all the time. It was unbelievable. We lived right next to a golf course. I played golf all day, every day. It was fantastic. Uh, but eventually, you know, I, I graduated. And I had to get a big boy job. We moved here. I started working at the Vista. And then, you know, we had a kid. Then we had another kid. And then we had another kid. And now my life is uh, wonderful, but different, right? It's a, it's a very different kind of wonderful, my life now. And so not too long ago, I, I went and I played golf on a day I probably should not have. You know, it was a day when we already had a lot going on as a family, and I knew I shouldn't have, but I wanted to, so I did it. And so I get back, and, and my wife is mad at me, and then I'm mad at her for being mad at me. It's really fun. It's what we call the, the merry-go-round of resentment in the Fisher household. It's a very fun ride. Um, and so she's mad at me, and I'm mad at her. And because I'm so incredibly mature, I do the mature thing, and I call a buddy to complain. Um, and so I'm complaining to my friend, and I'm like, man, you know, I make all these sacrifices for the family. I never get to do what I want. And my buddy, you know, he, he's much more mature than me. He listens for a while, and he goes, Austin, I, I know how much you sacrifice for your family. I do. And I know how rarely you just get to go do whatever you want. So, like, you're right. But what does that have to do with anything? I said, well, wait a minute, hold on. <laughs> what does being right have to do with anything? Well, buddy, being right has everything to do with everything because I am right. And he says to me, well, be that as it may, uh, you're rights became irrelevant when you stood before God, your friends, your family, and you said those marriage vows to Alice. And I remember I was there, for better, for worse, for richer, for poor, bye-bye to your rights, right? That's what you do when you get married. And so let me level with you. Um, I don't like this season that we're in very much. Right? In fact, it, it sucks. You can quote me on that. It sucks. It's not fun. You know, I, I don't like that we have to RSVP to church. I don't like that we have to take all these precautions. I don't like that it's all become so partisan and politicized. And so as your church leadership, you know, we've, we've prayed without ceasing about what the right thing to do is. We have. We've labored over it. We've poured over the data. And we made the best decisions that we can. Uh, and to be honest, we're not 100% certain what is right. Maybe everybody's pretending like they are. We don't, we don't know. We're not 100% certain what's right. But here's what we are certain of. We're certain that our rights and our preferences became irrelevant the moment we said yes to following Jesus. Our rights and our preferences, we signed those things away when we decided to follow Jesus. Now, none of us know exactly what is going to happen in the immediate future. Okay? I'm still hoping baseball gets canceled. That would be great. Um, but what we do know, what we do know, is that when we start getting offended... And when we start grumbling about our rights 
and our preferences. We have lost sight of what it means to follow Jesus. I mean, y'all, just look at the legacy of faith that we've been passed down from our fathers and mothers. And the faith, I mean, when they were persecuted, and I mean like really persecuted, not made to wear a mask, I mean beaten up and thrown in prison. When they were persecuted, what did they do? Well, they didn't get offended. How dare you? And they didn't get fixated on their rights and preferences. No, rather they rejoiced that they had been given an opportunity to sacrifice for the sake of the gospel. That's what they did. And so in my, you know, professional opinion, uh, no, we're not being persecuted. There's no government conspiracy to keep Christians from gathering. No, we are being inconvenienced. But far more importantly, okay, far more importantly, even if we were being persecuted, well, so what? Who cares? Because how do we act when we're persecuted? How do we act when we don't get our way? Well, we love our enemies, we serve our neighbors, we share the gospel, and we rejoice. That's what we do. We don't get offended. All that to say, over the course of this next season, however long it is, and I don't know how long it's going to be, we had a little baby girl in quarantine, and I can't wait for you to all meet her when she's 30. You know, however long this season is, we will be constantly tempted to take offense to complain, to get fixated on asserting our rights and our preferences. And if we give in to that temptation, and I feel it every single day, and I know you probably do too, if we give in to that temptation, it'll be a catastrophic failure because it'll reveal that we have become so fixated on our little pet projects that we have lost sight of God's all-consuming mission to reconcile the world to himself through Jesus in the church. But if we resist that temptation and instead embrace the opportunity to gladly put down our rights and preferences for the sake of the gospel and the common good, then we will embrace the legacy of faith that has been passed down to us for thousands and thousands and thousands of years. And we will not just survive, but we will thrive and we will flourish and we will show the world the difference that Jesus makes. I'm telling you, church, if we are difficult to offend, We should be unoffendable. That's what someone in first service said, and I love that. Christians should be known as unoffendable people. If we are difficult to offend, slow to complain, and quick to sacrifice our rights for the sake of the gospel, then we will show the world the difference that Jesus makes. And y'all, this is an opportunity that we may never get again. It's that unique, and so let's embrace it. Let's pray together. Gracious God, thank you so much for today. We pray right now for our brothers and sisters all over the world. Some of them are able to gather, and it's complicated. Uh, A lot of them are still not able to gather yet. We pray for our brothers and sisters who can't meet with us today. We pray that you would give us mercy and compassion and understanding. We pray that you would deliver us from ourselves, from our selfish desires, our fixation on our rights and our preferences and having things our way, that this 
whole situation would be an opportunity where we could be delivered from ourselves and over to you and over to others. And we do all this, God, because again, this is what you did. This is the gospel. That you, the infinite God, laid down all your rights, all your preferences, took the form of a slave, died a criminal's death, so that we could be with you and so that you could deliver us from our absorption with ourselves. So we pray that in these moments, God, you would work in our hearts to release us. Release us from these fixations we have on having things our way. Open us up to ways we can just serve and love and share the gospel with a world that really needs to know the difference that Jesus can make. And we've experienced that. So help us embody it and help us to share it. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So.